This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headline, six people, including three children, shot dead at a private Christian school. Police say the shooter is also dead. Find out what's known so far about the tragic killings. Lawmakers are taking a stand against the Chinese Communist regime's state-sponsored forced organ harvesting. A bill against the barbaric act passed with overwhelming support in the House yesterday. We speak with the sponsor of the bill as well as an expert to get his take on it. Israel's judicial reform has been delayed. This comes after protests over the move that brought the whole country to a halt. The biggest labor union in Israel called off its strike, but said there would be more if the reform is back on the table. And fashion designer Joanna Hernandez debuted her spring collection in Los Angeles. We have coverage from the red carpet event. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Tuesday, March 28th. And we have to start off today with some tragic news. A school shooting in Tennessee yesterday left six people and the shooter dead. Police say the shooter was a woman who identified as transgender and resented having gone to the religious school. Authorities say they are focusing on writings from the shooter to learn more about the motive. They have also released surveillance video from the school. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has the details. Three children and three adult staff members shot and killed at the Covenant School in Nashville, Tennessee, in what police are calling a targeted attack by a heavily armed 28-year-old former student. Police say the suspect was Audrey Hale, who identifies as transgender and is a Nashville area resident, who they say is a former student of the private Christian school located at Covenant Presbyterian Church. A witness near the scene helped identify Hale. Calls started coming in at 10.13 a.m. The shooting happened on an upper level in a lobby area, not a classroom. President Biden weighed in. Family's worst nightmare. And I want to commend the police who responded incredibly swiftly, within minutes. And called for more gun control. We have to do more to stop gun violence. It's ripping our communities apart, ripping the soul of this nation. The officers who took down the suspect have been identified as Rex Engelbert and Michael Colazzo. Police say that happened on the second floor in a common area of the Covenant School, where the suspect had been opening fire through a window at arriving police cars. Officials say writings recovered from Hale revealed that the attack was calculated and planned. A search warrant executed at Hale's home resulted in the seizure of a sawed-off shotgun, a second shotgun, and other evidence. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Now over to Capitol Hill, the U.S. House passed a bill to punish the Chinese Communist Party yesterday for its forced live organ harvesting from prisoners of conscience. The Stop, the Stop Forced Organ Harvesting Act of 2023 passed by a vote of 413 to 2. It aims to sanction anyone involved in the horrific act. It would also require the government to report every year on such atrocities taking place in each foreign country. Entities Melina Weiskup spoke with the sponsor of the bill, Representative Chris Smith, to learn more. This cruelty that is unimaginable uh, to think of 28-year-olds being marched into these hospitals, uh, arrested simply because they're Falun Gong or Uyghurs or some other disadvantaged group, uh, to have their bodies invaded in a way that kills them and provides two to three organs per person 
for the Chinese Communist Party. This is a, a cruelty that is unimaginable. The victims in terms of loss of life and loss of organs uh, are the Chinese people. Uh, they are, again, disproportionately young and very, very healthy. They prey upon the Falun Gong, for example, because they are so healthy. Uh, there are these 301, there's a 301 hospital, that's what it's called, in Beijing, and there are other hospitals like it, where forced organ harvesting is being done to inure to the benefit of Chinese Communist Party officials. So if Xi Jinping himself needs a new heart or liver or lungs or anything else, uh, he will go to that hospital and he will get the organs from someone that he despises, uh, which are the Falun Gong and Uyghurs and others uh, that they have on the hate list. Uh, I mean, that, that, that just bespeaks, a, again, another level of cruelty that most Americans need to know about. Why do you think it has taken Congress so long to act on this? Great question. A lot of it has to do with disbelief. A lot of people do not think uh, that this is really happening, just like they don't think the other human rights abuses are happening either. The State Department does a modest amount of reporting, but I don't see any linkage to actual policy. Where is the president, the secretary of state, uh, right on down the line, but starting with the president and the vice president, raising this face-to-face -face with Xi Jinping and their interlocutors uh, uh, as they meet? Have you heard of it? I haven't. Uh, and, and it's about time it was front and center, because uh, it, it is also a tip of the iceberg of all the other abuse that goes on each and every day uh, in prisons, especially the use and the pervasive use of torture. Thank you, Congressman. Thank you so much. An independent panel of experts in 2019 found that Falun Gong or Falun Dafa practitioners in China were most likely the principal source of organs for forced organ harvesting. We're bringing in Levi Browdy now. He's the executive director of the Falun Dafa Information Center to get his take. Good morning, Levi. Now, how far back does the evidence for forced organ harvesting actually go and what kind of evidence has there been? It goes all the way back really to 2005. That's when we first had whistleblowers. In particular, there was the wife of a surgeon uh, come out of China and tell stories of her husband having these tremendous nightmares because of all the organ extraction work he was doing at the hospital. And after that, um, several investigators got involved, particularly the attorney, David Mattis, and the former Secretary of State for Asia Pacific in Canada, uh, David Kilgore, and a journalist named uh, Ethan Gutman. Those three kind of led the charge over the next several years, uncovering a whole wealth of evidence indicating that what this, the wife of this doctor uh, was saying was absolutely true, and it was happening all over the country, and it was coordinated and run by the Communist Party through military hospitals. Interesting. Now, also tell me more about the victims. So we just heard a large portion of it are Falun Gong adherents and Uyghurs. Are there any other targeted groups? Um, the vast majority that we know of tend to be Falun Gong and Uyghurs. It is reasonable to assume that this is now trickling over into other groups because that's the way this and other types of repression in, in communist China work, meaning for about a decade or more, it was almost entirely Falun Gong. And once they'd you know, really kind of perfected a mechanism for killing Falun Gong for their organs, they then started to do that on the Uyghurs and then to other groups. So it is spreading out, much like torture techniques, brainwashing techniques. It starts with Falun Gong and it does go to other groups. Now, one thing that really caught my attention is some American hospitals have been accused of collaborating with China. Is there evidence of collaboration and how do these collaborations look like? 
Um, there is evidence, and actually a lot of the collaboration happens to be not just with Hospitals of America, but educational institutions. Although it might be universities or universities who have a, uh, a, a hospital in their institution. And the problem there is one of training and technology, meaning many of the doctors that we have seen that are actually engaged in this organ harvesting were trained in the West, whether it was in the United States or another country. And of course, the technology they're using um, it is organ transplantation is a, is a, is involves a lot of technology that too comes from Western companies and so a lot of this it, there is a clear place where in the in in American universities hospitals where this needs to be stopped um, until we know for sure that they're no longer or harvesting organs from living people in China. Right, and about that, how big of a difference do you think the sanctions would make, and what do you think should be done about this? Uh, I think the sanctions are huge, um, and for two main fronts. One is, as we heard, just heard Congressman say, one is awareness. There was a huge denial um, in the transplant industry, in universities, in all kinds of sort of spaces, political spaces, business spaces, that this is even happening. So to have Congress stand up and say, not only is it happening, but we're taking these specific measures to stop it, is huge, because now a lot of people that are in denial have to realize that this is happening. So that's one. The second is that sanctions in the past, even small ones, have, have sent tremendous shockwaves around China. Um, and sanctions of this size will certainly do the same thing. People will be afraid of being exposed, people afraid of being, uh, lose their chance to get out of China. Um, and I think that's gonna, that's gonna have huge effects inside the country. Mm, very good insights, uh, very interesting. Thank you, Levi Browdy, I appreciate it. Thank you. Now, the bill proposes to penalize those found to be involved in organ harvesting with a criminal penalty of up to a million dollars and 20 years in prison, as well as a civil penalty of up to $250,000. The bill now heads to the Senate. Senators Tom Cotton and Chris Coons are among the more than a dozen lawmakers leading the measure's companion version in the upper chamber. The Chinese Communist Party is finding unlikely friends at the state level. A new investigation details the regime's ties to a surprising place, Utah. Here's the story. An investigation by the Associated Press published Monday found that China's global influence campaign has been surprisingly robust and successful in Utah. At the request of a Chinese official, Utah lawmakers recorded videos of themselves expressing words of encouragement to people in Shanghai in early 2020. The state legislature also passed a resolution showing solidarity with China with near-unanimous support. Experts said such actions likely helped the CCP with its messaging in the early stages of the pandemic. Utah Republican Senator Jake Anderegg, who introduced the resolution, said the language was provided to him by Dan Stevenson. Stevenson is the son of a former state senator and employee of a China-based consulting firm. The AP report says he and Weber State University professor Tao Enlu are among China's most vocal advocates in Utah. Back in 2018, when President Trump was in office, then-Utah House Speaker Greg Hughes told a Chinese state media outlet, quote, Utah is not like Washington, D.C. Utah is a friend of China, an old friend with a long history. Also in 2020, Utah officials welcomed a letter from CCP leader Xi Jinping to fourth-grade students in Utah. The letter was heavily covered in Chinese state media. Experts say the CCP's success in Utah is part of a broader trend of targeting state and local governments. 
This in the face of stiffening resistance at the national level. Coming up, Israel signals a change of direction on its controversial judicial overhaul, at least for now. And U.S. regulators are suing Binance, the world's largest crypto exchange, and its CEO. That's for alleged violation of U.S. trade laws. Get the story after the break. Welcome back. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on Monday paused plans for a judicial overhaul until next month. This amid fears that Israel's worst national crisis in years could fracture his coalition or escalate into violence. Opposition parties said they would work to reach an agreement if the government was sincere. Protesters have flooded Israeli streets for weeks to express their opposition to the proposed plan. It calls for curbing the Supreme Court's powers to rule against the parliament and prime minister. It also gives lawmakers more power in appointing judges. Netanyahu says it will restore balance between the different branches of government while strengthening civil liberties, while critics accuse the prime minister of shielding himself from corruption charges. And now we're bringing in a leader within the American Jewish community for analysis on the judicial reform. Joining us live is Rabbi Yaakov Menken, the managing director of the Coalition for Jewish Values. Thanks for coming on the show today, Rabbi Menken. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Can you explain the motivation behind these reforms and are they necessary or would they undermine democracy in the country? Not only are they necessary, they are pro-democracy and they are very long overdue. Uh, Beginning in the 1990s, uh, a very activist chief judge, Aaron Barak, uh, took it upon himself basically to rewrite that the state does not have a constitution, but he decided that everything can be judged and everything can be reviewed and literally overrode Knesset legislation time and time again to more conform, to better conform to what he and the fellow judges thought was correct for the country. Now, it's important to understand that in Israel, not like the United States, for example, judges are not appointed by the elected officials. At the current time, judges are actually appointed by a council that includes their own members. So it is a self-selecting oligarchy. And the other people on that board, there's a couple of Knesset members thrown in to be uh, practically window dressing. Because also you have members of the Bar Association who are beholden to the same judges. So it was a self-perpetuating system of leftist domination where precisely after a more right-wing government had come in and was beginning to do things, Aaron Barak said, no, we're going to find a way to halt it. That's exactly what's going on now. You have a right-wing coalition saying, look, enough of this. We're going to have a democratically controlled Supreme Court so that, yes, judges will be selected, but selected by the Knesset will have much more say in who the next judge is, and they have to be voted on and confirmed the same way it works in the United States. That's pro-democracy. That's anti-oligarchy. But since it's anti-the left, they rewrite the narrative. Rabbi Menken, thank you for breaking down the historical context surrounding these proposed reforms. Netanyahu has delayed the reforms, saying it allows time for dialogue, but he says either way, reform will be passed. What do you suspect will happen, considering the top union warned of more strikes if he moves ahead with the overhaul? 
there's going to be more unrest because the left cannot stand to see their power threatened in this way. They talk about, oh, it means that the government will be unfettered and will take over. Well, guess what? Right now, literally, we had this situation, again, like I described, there are cases where the Knesset said, here's the solution we want, because it's a solution that satisfies religious and secular concerns. The Supreme Court said, no, we have judicial control over that. It was about a, a city street, literally. And they overrode the Knesset legislation and made the decision better conform to what the left wanted. So now what's going to happen is, I mean, obviously, Netanyahu's government depends upon the right-wing coalition that he has. And that center-right coalition is going to demand rational reform. In fact, most of the country agrees that reform is necessary. And the entire rewrite of the dialogue, by simply because they're anti-Netanyahu, is just outrageous. And Rabbi Menken, you talk about this tension between the left and the right. Rabbi Gilad Kariv is a member of the Knesset and part of the progressive Judaism movement. He says right-wing forces in the American Jewish community are driving the takeover as Israel's Supreme Court to gain better control over occupied Palestinian territories. In your view, is this accurate? Why or why not? Well, if you want to talk about the United States intervention, the reform movement is an almost entirely a U.S. thing and it routinely interfere, interferes in Israel's internal affairs. Uh, this entire false dialogue, the rewriting of the Palestinian narrative, remember that for 2,000 years, up until 1948, Palestine, which was a European colonialist name, meant Jews. Now they're trying to rewrite that entire history because the Israelis threw off the colonialist name and decided to call their country Israel, not Palestine. So now the Palestinians are Arabs. It's a complete false narrative. Occupied territory, what they call occupied territory, is the right to pray at the Western Wall, the right to live in the, in, in the old city, the city of Hebron, from which Jews were ethnically cleansed until 1929, but is the site of the cave of the patriarchs. This idea that these were Arab cities that the Jews are occupying is based on classic tropes of Jews stealing property. This is completely ridiculous, a rewriting of history, and it's unacceptable. Karib so is a reform rabbi, rabbi Yaakov from Menken. America. I really do appreciate you breaking down this very complex topic for us. Rabbi Yaakov Menken, the managing director of the Coalition for Jewish Values, always great to speak with you. Thanks so much. Moving on now to the crypto world, the world's largest crypto exchange is being sued. U.S. regulators are taking legal action against Binance and its CEO, Chengpeng Zhao. The Com Commodity Futures Trading Commission accuses Binance of violating U.S. trade laws. The Commodity Futures Trading Commission accused Binance on Monday of willful evasion of U.S. law while profiting from U.S. customers and business from at least July 2019. It also said that its compliance program had been ineffective and, under the direction of Zhao, employees and customers were told to circumvent compliance controls. They say that Binance broke US laws as it, quote, offered and executed commodity derivatives transactions on behalf of US persons. Binance's former chief compliance officer, Samuel Lim, is accused of aiding and abetting Binance's violations. The CFTC said it is seeking monetary penalties, disgorgement of ill-gotten gains, and permanent trading and registration bans. Binance has defended its practices. 
In a statement, Zhao described the complaint as unexpected and disappointing, adding that they did not agree with the characterization of many of the issues alleged in the complaint. The spokesperson for Binance said the firm had made significant investments to ensure it does not have US users on its platform. The lawsuit comes amid a broader and increasingly high-profile crackdown on crypto companies. Binance was founded in Shanghai in 2017 and sits at the heart of the industry. Its core Binance.com exchange processed trades worth about $23 trillion this year, according to data provided by CryptoCompare. Disney will soon be handing out pink slips. CEO Bob Iger says his company will start the first round of layoffs this week. There are three expected rounds, which will ultimately impact about 7,000 employees. That's about 3% of Disney's 220,000 workers across the globe. The second round of layoffs is expected to be larger and is slated for next month. The final round is supposed to happen at some point before summer. Disney is engaged in a multi-billion dollar cost-cutting initiative right now aimed at streamlining operations. Iger said, quote, The difficult reality of many colleagues and friends leaving Disney is not something we take lightly. Sources told The Hollywood Reporter that employees in TV production and acquisition departments are among those hit by the layoff. Coming up, fashion designer Joanna Hernandez debuted her spring collection in Los Angeles. We have coverage from the red carpet event. Good to have you back. Latina fashion designer Joanna Hernandez debuted her spring collection during Fashion Week. A-listers came to view her designs as well as show support for her charitable contributions. Let's hear from NTD's Jackie, Jackie Rios, who attended the red carpet event. LA Fashion Week has just come to an end, but there was another one that took place over the weekend in Beverly Hills. The dreams do come true, Glaudy by Joanna Hernandez Spring Fashion Show, presented by City National Bank. Joanna Hernandez is the owner and designer of the brand Glaudy by Joanna Hernandez, with two locations in Downey, California, and Beverly Hills. Born from humble beginnings, her El Salvadorian parents immigrated to the United States to escape the war. She would accompany her parents to her work at factories for global brands such as Calvin Klein and Tommy Hilfiger. This ignited her passion for fashion, and it resonated with the fashion world. Let's hear from those A-listers who attended. I tell her friend, you're a pioneer for Latin women. She came out of Compton from El Salvador, and she's been to Paris and Beverly Hills. We're supporting not just a brand. We're supporting the entire culture, our Latino culture here in L.A., and I think that's what we're supposed to do, bring each other up. I saw some of her products, and she's actually designing three for me right now as we speak for the My Red Carpet events and things on my movies. This looks beautiful. The stuff's really pretty, really feminine. Those who know Hernandez complimented her giving nature. Hernandez plans to donate proceeds from the show to benefit Empowering Her Institute. The nonprofit provides education, training, and mentorship to girls and young women giving them the opportunity to learn skills that will help them excel in their futures. She also plans to launch sustainable earrings made from the excess dress fabric to provide job opportunities. 
Those in attendance showed support for the idea of giving back. You can be whatever you think that you need to be in order to be successful. You have to be a contributor, and that's who she is. Not only being successful, but always giving it back to community, and that's her heart and soul. Hernandez highlighted her support system and all the people around her who helped her succeed. Having really great friends that support you and help you, like all the women in my show from the models to the production, they're all women that really want to empower each other. So having a good support group, my family has really helped and just never giving up and, not, and being fearless. The powerful women there echoed Hernandez. Having great faith, loving what you do, and then Many people come along the way who want to support that dream. So have faith because things come when you start looking for them. Claudi by Joan Hernandez is highly praised by her peers and clients. She says her designs are made to empower women and men to achieve their goals while feeling fabulous. Hernandez, who recently got engaged, also walked with a new wedding dress design. Jackie Rios, NTD News, Beverly Hills, California. <laughs> What a success story. So, Evelyn, do you have any fashion tips for our viewers? B, you really, guys, you really don't want to be taking any fashion advice from me. Maybe it's a good idea for a story. Oh, uh, okay. We could look into it. But hey, what, should I get a handkerchief? Would that be cool? Sure, yeah. Whatever makes you happy. <laughs> I hear square is in, so. Oh, yeah, sure. That's, that's news to me, see? <laughs> Uh, every day you learn something new. All right, that's all for today's program. Good morning at ntd.com. That's our email. Write us if you have anything to share with us. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.